it's so nice to see the sunshine. I can tell that winter break is here because it started Friday night. The moment school was out, I started getting texts of everybody who's heading to Florida. And uh, I hope that they're having a good time. They're going to miss a great day today here. But I trust that uh, for those who are on vacation, they'll enjoy themselves and, and have safe journeys. Today I want to conclude a series that I've been on since early January on prayer. And we've been looking at the prayers of Paul and applying them to our life. We started out talking about when he, he told us how to pray big prayers, prayers that we knew that when God was involved with them, it was one of those things we'd recognize this is not something we can do. Only God can do these things. And teaching us how to pray big, bold prayers. Then we, we talked about his prayer when he talked about sharing our faith, that we would be very comfortable in everywhere we go and whatever we do. Our lights seem to be flickering around today. But just, if it goes dark, I'm going to keep talking just so. But that everywhere we go and whatever we do, it would be natural for us just to share the relationship that we have, tell our story with people, inviting them to church. We had a Sunday where we talked about healing and the testimonies that came from that divine healing service have been incredible as God expressed himself for his own glory by healing different people. And then we spoke about Paul's prayer for unity, that we would be in unity. And I, I do believe that if those of you in the second service didn't get to hear that one because we had a water baptism service, so I trust all of you have gone to the website and listened to the, the first service where I got to speak that message because we are in a place in our country where it is going to be very important that Christians stand together in unity, that we begin to raise our voice together and draw a line in the sand and said, evil will not pass this line. We are going to pray that God would be at work among his church. And when I say his church, I'm talking about his church at, at large. Today I want to conclude this by talking about how do we pray when we need to know what is best? How do we pray when we just need to know what is the best thing for us to do? I'm going to ask that you'd bow your head with me. Fathers, we prepare ourselves for this word this morning. We have come with such a sense of anticipation. We love to be with you, and we love when your word is expressed, and it, it plants itself in our life, and it nourishes our spirit and gives us direction. And I pray that through your anointing that you would accomplish all of these things in our hearts and lives today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. By a show of hands this morning... How many of you are at a place in your life where there's something specific that you're praying about that you need direction for? It may be something big. It may be something little. I mean, all over. There's a bunch of directionless people around here today. <laughs> then you are in the right place at the right time because I do believe that God is going to give us some, some tools that we can use as we begin to seek him for what we're doing. I, one of the things I love about our church is the multi-generational aspect, and I love talking to our college students, and some of them are now in their last semester as seniors, and they're beginning to ask God, what am I supposed to do? That's a scary time when you get to the end of your education, and suddenly you have to be productive, and you, and you have to find a job, and everything that you've dreamed about, it goes, and, and many of them are praying, oh Lord, I, I need direction for that. Perhaps the decision is different for you. Maybe you in a family situation or at a place where you're simply saying, Lord, we, we are looking for your direction as it, results, as it regards the purchase that we may need to make or may not do, and we just want to be able to honor you in this. Or, or maybe for others, it's, it's what do we do with the blessings that God has given to us? How do we invest them in such a way that would benefit the family, benefit the kingdom of God? How do, how do we make these decisions? Or 
Maybe it's something as small but as impactful as, Lord, should I really respond to this post on social media the way I want to? Or should I hold back? Is this something that I can do and, and, and bring honor to you? Or is this going to hurt your kingdom? And just asking God for wisdom and direction in just everyday details of our life. But there are aspects that for every one of us, we really, really want to know what is best, what is right, and how God can direct us in that. And there's a passage of Scripture I'm going to ask you that you would turn to it in, in Philippians chapter 1. And as you're turning to this, let me just give you some context of what is happening here. We've been talking about the prayers that Paul had made. And in this one, Paul is an apostle and he is, he's foundational to the Christian faith and the fact that about a third of the New Testament was written by him. And so here is this important guy who is in a jail. And from prison he is writing and he doesn't know when he is going to be executed. He just knows that it's going to happen. And so everything that he is writing, everything that he is saying, he is writing with the understanding that this might be the last words or the last letter that I ever get to send to somebody. So from his perspective, whatever he says you know is going to be very impactful because he's bearing his heart, perhaps the last words that he would say. And in this he begins to write, and, and he starts by telling them in, in chapter 1, I thank my God every time I remember you. Now, I don't know about you, but I hope that there are relationships in your life that whenever you think of that person, the first thought that comes to your mind is, I thank God that they are in my life. I, whenever I think of them, it just brings me to a place of, of just thanking God uh, for what they are to me and who they are. And so we can imagine that kind of relationship. And, and Paul is writing that. And so with this in mind, as he begins to write this prayer that he says, I'm praying for you, he enters into it. And in verses 9 and 10, it says this. And this is my prayer, Paul says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, in depth of insight, so that, now this has been the way that he's prayed. He gives us a prayer and then he tells us what he's expecting after that. So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So here's this prayer. He's writing in prison, thinks this might be the end for me, and he writes this out. And here's what he says to them. And as I look at this, and we begin to break this prayer down. We recognize, he says, this is my prayer. And then he begins to list blessings. Now, one of the things that I find fascinating about this is the way that he prays for them may be different than the way we would pray for one another because he did not ask in this prayer that God would give them riches. He did not ask in this prayer that they would face or find a worldly prosperity, but what he asked God to do for them was confined to spiritual blessings. He knew that if this is the last thing that I say to them, they need to understand that whatever God provides for them is greater than anything this world can ever give to them. They need to know that. So I'm confining the things that I pray for to spiritual blessings and their growth. And he sought these because he knew that it would be the most desirable of all favors that he could pray for. And he says to them, what I pray is that your love may abound more and more. In other words, he said, I want the process. And how many of you know we are on a process of growth when we, we start a relationship with God, and, and it's a process that we grow by. And so as a result of that, we who are growing in the Lord should constantly recognize that we are farther along in my knowledge of God and the way of his, his pathway from his will than I was 
days ago or years ago. There should be this, this growth that takes place in our life, and our trust for him continues to grow. And Paul said, this is what I pray for, that your love, not only for God, but your, your love for one another, your love for your families, would continue to abound more and more. Now, as I did a little research on the way that this was written in Greek, I discovered that there's a word picture here that is just unbelievably beautiful. Paul uses a word as he's talking about abounding more and more in the love of God as if it were a river. And in this river, he's talking about that there would be streams, springs that would be flowing out of the ground with fresh, pure water. They're constantly filling this river from multiple locations And that the river, as it begins to go along, begins to rise from being filled with so many different ways to the point where it reaches its banks and then overflows, refreshing everything around it. This is the picture that he's giving to us as he talks about our love and our desire for God and people around us growing and abounding more and more. And as I thought about that, I thought, I trust and I pray that this Sunday service is not the only spring that is filling your river. I pray that you load yourself with opportunities to be in his word and to pray, to listen to Christian music, to sing along in your car, to enjoy conversations with people. Each of these becomes a spring that feeds into the river that helps us grow and abound more and more in our love for God. So he's talking about a gradual process in a believer's life that we begin to grow in Christ-likeness until we overflow and refresh those around us. He goes on in this prayer to say, I want you to grow in knowledge. And the idea that he's presenting here is that you would grow in intellectual affection for God. So for all of those people out there who say that people who follow God are just idiots, I want you to know that there is an aspect of study that comes, an intelligent seeking of the will of God and the word of God that comes as we begin to follow him. And Paul's saying, I want you to grow in the knowledge of this. I want you to dig deep. I want you to study hard. I want you to put into your heart and memorize the things of God because from this knowledge is then the direction that I can begin to give you from because you take your knowledge and you apply it in wisdom. And so he's beginning to say, I need you to constantly live in a way that you are enlarging your view of divine things by a life of study and testing the claims and the nature of God. How many of you are married? How many of you forgot Valentine's Day? Good. 37 years into marriage with my wife Cindy, I have discovered that I know her a whole lot better now than I did when we got started. In fact, we we had a geology class together in college, and Dr. Davison, our professor, took us on a camping trip, so we were going to collect rocks together, and, and uh, there were a number of us there, and, and the night that we were out, he had built a fire, and we're sitting around, and there were a number of us in that class that were engaged couples, and, and this dear professor began to just have a conversation, and he asked each of us men what it is about our fiance, what it is that has drawn us to them, what are the qualities of her life, and I remember sitting there at that fire talking to him and beginning to express to him all of the things that I had found in Cindy. I had no idea at that stage of my relationship, how much more I would grow to love her and know her as our relationship has grown. That's the way it is with Christ. You know, we have this moment when we come to know him and we experience his grace, but that's just an introduction to the life that we get to live with him. And the more we experience and the more we dive into the knowledge of him, the more we begin to see how we can grow in him. And this was Paul's prayer, that they would grow in knowledge. And then he moves into this statement. I want them also to grow in all judgment 
or depth of insight. Now, the fascinating thing about this is that this could also be interpreted, I need them to grow in common sense. How many of you think we could use a little common sense in our world today? Yeah. It means taking what you know and in the power of discernment, beginning to exercise what you know in your daily life. What do I know of God? Understanding that and living it out. And so that he's praying that the church at Philippi, that their religion, their relationship with God would be intelligently and with discrimination lived out based on their growing knowledge of the love and the will of God. In other words, the more you know of God, the more your life should change, the more wisdom that you should have. And so now you have a love that's abounding. You're growing in knowledge. The nature and the will of God is growing. It transforms the way you think. It transforms the way you act and the things that you do. And this is the agape love that Paul is talking about as he begins to pray for them. In essence, what Paul is saying in this prayer is this. How do you know what is best? How can you make these decisions in your life? Because some of you would say, man, pastor, I've got situations. My, my world is crazy. And the stuff that I've going on, without the help of God, I don't know what I'm going to do. And, and I want to know what is best. I want to know how to apply the things that I know of God. And if you're taking notes, I'd like you to jot this down because it's a key thought for today that you can take away. The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. And that's why we came to church today. Because we desired to engage in God's word in a way that we could get to know him better. And that as we begin to illustrate that in our life, it begins to transform us in ways that only God can do. So what I'm going to do this morning is over these next few minutes, I'm going to tell you a little story about how the pathway of beginning to know what was best came alive to Cindy and I in a very uh, strategic time of our life and ministry and there are some aspects of this that if you have your bulletin, you can begin to jot down some notes that may help you in whatever decisions that you need to make. But there's three pillars that I want to talk about that we can utilize as we're trying to understand God and what is best. Here's a situation. Six months into our marriage and six months into our ministry, Cindy and I were at a church that looking back now we recognize was probably experiencing the most spiritual dysfunction of any church that we had ever been associated with. I had interned the summer before at this church, and the pastor there at the end of my internship asked if I would come back as soon as I graduated and become their youth pastor, and I had agreed to that. I'm getting near the end of my senior year. Cindy and I are just weeks away from our wedding. In fact, I had called him to find out where uh, we needed to bring uh, the U-Haul to to move our stuff, and he said, I need you to send me your letter of resignation today. And he began to explain to me that a situation had arisen in his family, and his wife had been unfaithful with an, an individual in the church. He had resigned the church that day and felt that since he had hired me as his staff, it was my job to resign as well. And so I sent a resignation letter to a church that I had never even got to yet. The following weeks, they brought in another man who... I had actually gone to school with, he was older than all of us, he was a brilliant, brilliant man. He had been a nuclear physicist. But out of anger with the way that his pastor had pastored the church that he was in, thought, I will go into ministry just to show everybody how the church needs to be run. This man was so brilliant, he graduated with a biblical studies degree in nine months. He found out that 
they had asked me to come, and when he was elected pastor, he called and said, I'd certainly like you to come. And so we were able to go to that church, and it wasn't very long. Within weeks, we began to recognize that you can't pastor a church if you don't have a call to the ministry. He began to recognize that going into ministry out of anger was not a proper call. And begin to discover that trying to handle a church business and the people like you would handle a business was, was very destructive. There came a moment in time, and I, I was not a part of our board meetings as, as a step, but there came a, a, a Saturday night board meeting where there had been some misappropriation of funds on his side of it, and, and he didn't know what to do, and he was confronted, so he blamed it on me. The next morning, I walked into our church office, and one of the board members came in early, saw me there, came into my office, locked the door, and began to scream at me as to why I am doing this to the church. I began to look at him going, I have no idea what you are talking about. Another man that was a part of our board was able to get through the door and come in and kind of separate what was going on there. At the end of that encounter, Cindy and I are sitting there literally in tears, thinking, God, if this is what ministry looks like, if everything that we have experienced up to this point is what ministry looks like, then we want out. We want out. There was a dear man by the name of Monty who sat there and he put his arms around us and he just kept saying in my office that day, he just kept telling me, don't make any decisions in this condition. Don't make any decisions in this condition. He says, pray about it. Talk to somebody. And his advice on that day started me on a path that I have revisited whenever I am seeking to determine what God might be trying to tell me or where he might be trying to lead me. Not every situation was as dire as that, but it certainly started me on a path. And if you have your, your bulletins, you can take notes as we go. The first one is this. Seek godly counsel from other believers. Seek godly counsel from other believers. God expresses his love to us in many, many different ways. And one of the ways that he does that is he brings people into our life that have the ability to look at our life through a different lens than we do. And as a result of that, they can begin to speak into our lives and help us begin to determine what God may be doing when they love us enough to at least speak to us in truth. I began to seek those who were farther along on the journey than I was to ask some counsel. In fact, in Proverbs 15, 22, it speaks of this. It says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. When you want to know what is best, having godly counsel from people who you can trust is important. Let me just add this in. Be careful who you seek advice from. Be careful that they don't have their best interest at heart and not your best interest at heart. Be careful that you choose people that as you view their life, they have demonstrated wisdom enough that you would say, I would trust what they would say and make sure it's really godly counsel. There was a godly man who had been a friend of my father since they were in college together, and he was like an uncle to me. He had known me my whole life. He had seen me grow up and had recognized that God had a call of my life, and he had nurtured it and encouraged it through the years. He just so happened to be the district superintendent of the district that I was in. And so I called him that afternoon and began to rehearse to him everything that had happened to me. 
And as I began to speak to him, I was pouring out my heart, and what I really wanted him to say was, Doug, I can't believe that has happened to you. I am so sorry. Nobody deserves that. You should just quit now and run. But after listening to me pour out my heart, hearing me talk about how my feelings were hurt, he took a deep breath, and there was this moment of silence, and then he said this. Sounds like it's time for you to grow up. Okay. He said, I want you to know something, Doug. What happened to you today will not destroy you, but it will reveal you. It will not destroy you, but it will reveal you. He said, did you think for one minute that spiritual authority would go unchallenged? He says, you're 23 years old. Do you think you know it all? He said, did you think that your pastoral call would make you immune from unfair treatment? The Holy Spirit spoke to him at that moment and had discerned that in that moment he needed to speak the truth to me in love because he recognized that I was at a point of decision that could derail everything that God was wanting to do. He said, if you quit the ministry in your first battle, you will never see the victories that God has for you. And I would have allowed myself. I can tell you I was at a point emotionally and spiritually that if I had quit at that moment, I would have walked with the rest of my life with a victim mentality. And so he said, so you've been unfairly treated. Get used to it. It won't be the last time that you will carry bruises in your life. He says, now get up and be an example to those people. Somebody needs to be a spiritual leader there. And then he said, someday you're going to look back on this and thank God for moments like this because it defines what God can do. I wasn't entirely satisfied with that counsel. So I called another lady that was a youth pastor that I dearly valued her insight, and she basically told me the same thing, and I began to recognize that there was consensus that was being built in those that were advising me. My mentors were telling me what I needed to hear, what, not what I wanted to hear. But because they were willing to step into a difficult circumstance and provide godly counsel, it allowed God to do what he wanted to do and spared us. And 37 years later, I have had to have that same conversation with many young ministers through the years. Say, so you know what? Grow up. God will qualify you, but he's called you and he's found something in you. And from time to time, we as the church need to tell each other, it's time to grow up. Did you really think you were going to be able to live through life without a bruise? I have seen so many people leave churches because they were wounded by other Christians. Well, grow up. We're all human. And we have been bruised and we have bruised. And the wisdom that comes from God is recognizing that in godly counsel, we make our way through these things. And it builds a strength into us. Secondly, talk to God and then listen. Now, some of you are going to say, why didn't you put this one first? Because I'm a real human being, and I always call people first before I talk to God. I'm just like you. And you can't tell me that you don't do the same thing. I was very intentional about thinking this is the pathway that we travel. After they have 
spoken into our lives. Then we go to God and we talk to him. And, and Paul was saying, I need you to grow in wisdom and grow in common sense. And, and prayer is a conversation. Now, I've discovered through the years that I'm really, really good at telling God what I think he ought to do. In fact, rarely do I go to him when I don't have suggestions. I always thought that was good management. What I have come to discover, however, is that this conversation that we have with God has two parts. That we tell him what we're feeling and we express to him the things that are going on in our hearts. And then we shut up and listen so that he can then begin to speak into our own lives. And as I begin to pray, I discovered that there was a prompting because the Holy Spirit indwells his people. He indwells us, and as a result of that, he works from the inside, and he begins to prompt us with little thoughts and and little encouragements that only he can do, and we begin to recognize this is God talking to us. And through those promptings, you begin to feel a direction coming to you. And it may not make any sense, but when God lives within you, after you tell him everything you need to tell him, be quiet and listen to the promptings that take place in your own soul. Because it very well could be that God is answering your prayer to help make a decision that is best for you. And then this is where discernment comes. Most of the decisions that we have to make in life are not spelled out biblically. They are just not in black and white there. But discernment is taking what we know of God and what we know of his word and applying it in a way that makes sense to him. So discernment cannot take place in a life if you don't know his word because it's taking that and using it. And so we follow through the process and we begin to develop a sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit is leading us to and the biblical truth and all the particulars that relate to it. And that's why it tells us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what The will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In other words, it's only through the renewing of my mind that I can even hear what the Holy Spirit says on the inside of my life. Which is why I say, choose your counselors well. That they have demonstrated this. Many of you have felt this prompting in your times of prayer. Lord, what should I do? And you're feeling a prompting. And you're feeling it and you're going, okay, Lord, I'm going to take steps this way. Would you confirm this as I go each step of the way so that I know I'm walking in the direction that you want me to so that I can do what is best? And after you have sought godly counsel and after you have prayed to the Lord and expressed yourself to him and then listened to what the Holy Spirit would prompt you to do, the third thing is seek an anchor verse. Seek an anchor verse. When I come to a decision that I'm trying to make, I I look for God's word. I'll... I'll begin to sit, I feel a prompting of a certain direction, Lord, and then I dive into his word to see if his word will confirm to me the things that I'm feeling on the inside. And what it means that in this decision process I'm trying to figure out, I, I am asking God to reveal to me through his word something that I can put a stake in. And I'd say, this is it. This is how I know. Now, last week, I don't know if you noticed, for those of you that were here, Tim Anderson mentioned it a couple of times. One time he talked about this was something that I desperately wanted to do. I prepared myself for it. And he said, and the word of the Lord came and told him no. There was an anchor verse that said no. So if all of your anchor verses say yes, then you're reading the wrong Bible. Because sometimes God's going to say no. But as the timing in his life changed, 
God's word and his anchor verses begin to change. The timing of God is everything. And suddenly that which was a no before now became a yes because God was working out the details on the other side of this that he knew nothing about. But God was at work. So sometimes your anchor verse is not going to be what you expect. But it will be God saying, now is not the time. This isn't it. And other times it will be yes. For me, in that moment, in that particular week, my anchor verse became Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you will prevail. And you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, declares the Lord. And I don't have time to tell you all the different levels of what that verse meant to Cindy and I and how God used that. But I want you to know that there are moments when the Lord says, here's the deal. If you react wrongly to this, you're going to disqualify yourself from the, from the blessing. So I need you to humbly just do what I'm asking you to do. Don't try to get back. Don't try to defend yourself. I will be your voice for you. And I can tell you that within days, God resolved that situation completely and totally and set us on a pathway that we could obey him. So here's what you need to know. When difficult circumstances arise in your life and in your family, you can disqualify yourself from the blessings of the Lord by reacting in an ungodly way rather than letting God battle it for you. There will be people that will discount your testimony, that will say, see, you act just like the rest of us, that are looking for opportunities to try to dismiss you. But if you will stand in the Lord and say, he will fight this battle for me, you will qualify yourself for what God wants to do as you move forward. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. And as they come, I want you to know as you're trying to discern what is best and what God needs to lead you in. That this is the essence of what Paul was praying in his last prayer to the Philippian church, and he's telling them, here's what you need to know. I'm praying that you grow more and more, abounding in love with God, that you would dive into the knowledge and that you would take this knowledge with great judgment and apply it in a way that leads everybody to know that I am at work. I will lead you in the areas of discernment. I will help you no matter how big or how small the decision may be that you have. God will work when you trust people with godly counsel. When you pray and you seek his face and you allow yourself to listen to what he has to say. And that you begin to seek his word and let an anchor verse just jump into your spirit that you can put a stake in and say, this is where I will stand because God has spoken it.